Hello and welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People, the podcast where I sit down with somebody who's lived a truly extraordinary life. On the 22nd of May 2017, 14-year-old Freya Lewis joined her best friend Nell and thousands of other fans at Manchester Arena to see Ariana Grande in concert. As they left, Nell turned to Freya and told her it had been the best night of her entire life, which makes what happened next even more devastating. They were just three metres away from the bombing that took the lives of 22 victims, including Nell. What Freya did next is truly inspiring. After receiving treatment for her 29 injuries, Freya turned it around, running the junior Great Manchester Run and raising over £60,000 for the hospital that saved her. She's now released a book telling her story. The book is called What Makes Us Stronger. Welcome to the podcast, Freya Lewis. Hello. Thank you. Hello. I love that. Well, I mean, it's it's a very short introduction, really, because there's so much about you. You know, you've got so many different qualities and strengths. It's almost quite hard to introduce you, actually. (laughs) Well, it's it's intimidating because you're... You're amazing and you're literally one of my idols. So this oh. this is an honour for me. Well, I was quite nervous about interviewing you um, because when I read you and researched you, I was like, mm-hmm. wow, you've been through so much. Uh, you don't seem like a 17-year-old. You know, I read parts of your book. I read your interview in New Magazine and it felt like a, a woman that was way wise beyond her years. Um, so I'm scared. <laughs> But it's it's funny because when I did research, I I felt Mm -hmm. a lot of similarities between me and you. Mm -hmm. Like I felt connected to you um, for, I guess, some obvious reasons, some not so obvious. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. the the first thing that reminded me of my own story was I was young, not as young as you, Mm -hmm. but I remember being young and you see things in the newspaper you see stuff on telly, you see stuff at the cinema and films mm-hmm. and you don't really live in fear of them because you never think yeah. they'll happen to you. Mm-hmm. It, not even to someone you know, let alone you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I live in a really small village in Cheshire, like it's mm-hmm. tiny. So definitely for me, it always felt like this was the safest place that I could ever be mm-hmm. and nothing bad could ever happen. Um yeah, I can totally real. relate yeah. to that. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I grew up in a village, you know, the I think the front page of the newspaper was like cat stuck up tree. That was like the <laughs> yeah. headlines in my village. <laughs> Next week, cats come down from tree. Yeah, this is you so know, good. Yeah, and, and you would hope that most young people do grow up with a fairly normal, safe mm-hmm. life. Yeah. But I suppose for me and you, we have experienced the, well, the the traumatic unnormal that most people hope to Mm -hmm. avoid um but also upon researching you what really really stood out to me um was your resilience you know at the moment we're we're making this in lockdown and people are crumbling people aren't coping which is totally understandable Mm -hmm. but you've kind of been there and done this you've been through I doubt you're even bothered by lockdown because you've been through yeah yeah it feels like we're used to like um me coming home from surgeries and lying on the sofa and not being able to move Mm -hmm. (laughs) for like um because I had I had um scoliosis spinal surgery right uh, in July last year and I I literally could not move off of the sofa in our conservatory for like eight weeks. Um, 
and it was awful. So to be able to even walk outside and, and go places with my family and stuff feels like a privilege. Mm. So it's definitely not phased us as much as other people because I feel like we've already lived through our own little lockdown. Um, yeah, this is freedom to you rather than lockdown. Yeah. Like, this is great. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, but I'm, I'm here with uh, my whole family. So that's what makes it, you know, special and much easier because my sister came home from uni and things. Oh, so that's good. So us being here in our little unit is that's the best way. Mm. When when I was reading parts of your book, that was something that stood out to me, um, that that support network was a big part of your recovery um, and not just your family. I, I saw you talked about so many strangers that got in touch yeah. and wrote to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's still the same too. I get um, loads of messages and things on social media from random strangers that say they've uh, either read my story somewhere or read my book and even though obviously my family are my biggest support ever, them messages from random people, they just mean the the absolute world. When I hear there's like different survivors of different traumas and things message me to say that the book has helped them Mm -hmm. and they relate to it. And that's really important for me because that was one of the reasons that I wrote the book and I wanted to get my story out there to help others. Um, so yeah, I just, I feel really lucky to have the support from my family and my friends, but now I feel even more lucky to have it from random strangers and people across the world. But I think it's important we know that because I think when terrible things happen to people, particularly children, we feel so helpless and yeah. we want to take it away from them and we can't. And I think by what you've just said, it reassures us that actually words help and reaching mm-hmm. out and connecting with people and cards and letters, they, they may not take it away, but it does help somebody mm-hmm. start to recover. Yeah, definitely. The, if I didn't get, I got um, my favourite bit of my day when I was in hospital was my sister coming in with all the cards that she received from home. Because even just a message of some random person in like my science class saying get well soon, that's what made me happiest. Mm-hmm. Um, and just felt, I just felt so lucky to have that support from everyone at home. And that's definitely what, them, all them cards and the messages is what spur me on to get better and to, and to fight and to recover. So I suppose it's what makes you extraordinary. You know, the podcast is called Extraordinary People. And I think writing a book, particularly writing a book so soon, because, you know, it wasn't in terms of trauma, this isn't, we're not talking 10 years ago, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, I think to write a book is brilliant because it helps so many people, but it can be quite painful. You know, it, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been easy for you. What what was the process like in, in doing the book? Um, so I worked with a, a ghostwriter um, called Amisha Desai and we met her at the NHS Heroes Awards. Oh, yeah. Um, she was working there and we kind of mentioned to her just the idea of a book and she offered to write it <laughs> and it just all went on from there and I think it was December 2018 she came mm. down here uh, from London and sat in the conservatory and just put one of the little recording things in between us and she just talked to me for hours and hours I think there was about 30 hours of recordings in the end of everything I talked about and she just became like a sister to me straight away Mm. and that made it so much easier for me to open up to her and to Mm. tell her everything even though she was a stranger she just quickly became part of our family and there were times where it was really weird because it was like I was reliving everything yeah but it helped me so much and that was definitely my main form of therapy 
and it just mm-hmm. felt so good to get everything off my chest and to to finally tell people because I'd always wanted to but I never knew how and the book was just the most amazing way to do that. So did you have any therapy outside of the book writing? Did you use a psychologist or anything? Um, so there were two psychologists that came around in hospital um, and kind of wanted they wanted to check up on me and they came in almost every day um, but it took me about three weeks until I didn't pretend I was asleep so they would go away. Um, I was so I just didn't want to face up to it in the Mm -hmm. first couple of weeks um but when I went onto the burns unit um on the third week they came around and I just felt like talking to them and they just sat down uh next to my bed and just said tell me everything you remember like if Mm -hmm. you want to and it all just came pouring out and I, I just helped myself remember different things and as soon as they left I was really upset but my parents were there but it just something felt felt right that I finally got that all out and I think that that moment is what realized because their reaction as well was so incredible they were just a bit shocked which made me realize that that is that's this is a story that I should tell people um mm-hmm. but yeah talking has always been the best therapy for me but so far I've not ne- I've not needed any other psychological help but um I have such an amazing family and friends and everyone that helped me to realize that I might need it in the future and if I do mm-hmm. then that's all right and I'm happy to accept that um but right now I'm just I'm all good did you have any diagnosis of like PTSD or anything like that I mean I know for myself I suffered with a lot of nightmares and flashbacks and mm-hmm. and I did have PTSD and you know mine's sort of 12 years ago but it has been up and down as I've got older yeah. did you did you have anything like that they didn't properly diagnose me but I definitely think in the first few months that there must have been slight elements of PTSD um but it's really weird the hallucinations that I had wasn't even from the night I think I watched um I watched Harry Potter a couple mm-hmm. weeks before um the attack and have you ever watched Harry Potter? No, I hate stuff like Harry Potter. I've got to confess, I'm anti-Harry Harry Potter. <laughs> you know, Sorry. That sort of fantasy thing is the only thing I hate it, but Harry Potter's the only thing. Uh, but there, okay. are, there are these flying black things uh, yeah. that work with the scary Voldemort guy. And the whole time you're at hospital, I had really strange hallucinations where them black things were like flying around my room and stuff which my family did not understand when I was like talking to them. So there's a, there's a dementor in my room. Yeah. Uh, so that was very weird. But for some reason, that was a reoccurring like nightmare that I had mm-hmm. and all these hallucinations. So the weirdest thing that I went through that traumatic event, yet it was none of that. It was all Harry Potter characters. So, yeah, yeah, it's really... So uh, my hallucinations, there were tons, but like they were... One of the weirdest ones was I used to think that this was all a film set, like Hollyoaks or EastEnders. Oh, yeah. And and I used to try and rip all my dressings off and all my tubes out. And I kept saying to my mum and dad, like, I know you're actors and look, I'm an actress too. It's all prosthetic makeup. And it used to really upset my mum and dad because they yeah, were like, this is real and we're really worried about your mental state that you don't know this is real. But it obviously was just all the drugs and stuff yeah, um, yeah but I mean it's kind of funny when you talk about it now but obviously <laughs> yeah but, yeah because when I first um was taken out of my coma I was telling my parents I was adamant that the concert and everything was like me knowing what was going to happen in the future yeah. so I was like screaming at them telling them we can't go to the concert something's bad something yeah. bad's going to happen which now makes us 
laugh because of how hysterical I was. But obviously at the time, that was the most traumatic thing for my parents because they thought, oh, I'm never going to accept that it happened. Mm -hmm. Um, But luckily that was just an effect of the drugs and the first time I got taken around. But yeah, it's so strange. It's interesting because I, I was 24. So I, you know, I was an adult compared to you being 14. But I still look back now and think I haven't really led a normal life for somebody of that age. And yeah. I look at other people of my age and what they were doing with, you know, whilst they were, I don't know, getting engaged, getting mortgages, I was learning to walk, to swallow, mm-hmm. having physio. Do you ever think about your life that you've had to grow up so quickly and it and you're different to other 17-year-olds? Yeah, definitely. Um, It's so weird to think of life before the 22nd of May because it almost feels like that was a completely different person because it feels like such a long time ago and and I'm now used to what has happened and what I look like and everything now. Um, Who were you before if you had to describe yourself? I was crazy, really (laughs) immature, um, 14-year-old that um, was just happy all the time um Mm. and I was actually going through it's kind of contradicting what I just said um but I was going through some really bad friendship issues when I was 14 um and I was literally I became separated from all my friends Uh and I was by myself every day at school so it was it was just awful but especially now after the 22nd of May you know as soon as it happened we all kind of came together that's positive and, yeah and just I've now kind of realized that you know like petty fights that like 14 year old girls have in high school do not mean anything and mm. they're just yeah um but it I do feel like a different person now and I think probably the way I present myself at college and things people just think I am a normal 17 year old mm-hmm. but it's so until much they talk different. to you because you're yeah. so mature is it something you tell people or do you keep it confidential? It it depends on... So everyone, obviously, at my high school knew. As soon as I went back, everyone knew who mm-hmm. I was. I was that girl. But um, I went to a new college in September. So that was... I was really scared to go in. But as soon as I went in, it was only my friends that knew, which felt it felt really nice to have a fresh start and to just be known as a, as a normal person person again which was what I was known as before the 22nd of May but there have definitely been times because I've you know like made new friends and stuff which I have to tell but I feel like there has definitely been a point that it has to get to before I tell people because I don't want to like sit down in a classroom and then um they're like hi I'm so and so and I'm like hi I'm a terrorist attack victim because that usually would scare people off um The main thing for me, it makes me happy when people don't act weird around me and get awkward. Mm-hmm. I hate that. If people just go, oh, that's that's awful, but you're a normal person at the end of the day, then that's what I like, which yeah. is still, especially on like different days, whether it's like the anniversary or something like that, people are still conscious of me and get a bit scared to say things. Um, I, I like telling people because that's that's my life. That's me. Um, and it always will be a part of me. So I think wherever I go in life, I'll still be like, hi, I'm Freya, and this is my story, just because I like being strong and saying that. So I hope that's what I do for the rest of my life. Do you feel like it's brought out different characteristics in your personality? Definitely. I'm de- I, I was just, not that I'm incredibly confident now, but I was really shy before the 22nd of May. Um, but now 
that's just that's not me and even though this horrendous thing has happened to me I'm always I'm less nervous and less anxious and scared of things like even going to London and we're on the tube sometimes that has been it does scare me a little bit but I think it was a couple years ago my dad uh we got out of the tube and I was with my family um and my my dad said oh you coped really well because that was the first time I went into that sort of crowd and public space and then I was like oh I'm fine so I, I think I said to him oh well I've taken one for the team and I've already been in this horrific event. So the chances Mm -hmm. of me being in another one is quite little. So my dad was just a bit shocked and was like, oh, okay." But to have that perspective and that view at any age after what you've been through is quite incredible. It's quite remarkable. You know, where does that come from? How do you get to that place? I don't know. I think it just, like I said, I think it will always come back to my family. They've always encourage me to be like that like I said my dad's got an awful dark sense of humor that I used to hate before the 22nd of May but straight on we all adopted it and we all make jokes every single day about it so Mm -hmm. they always encouraged me to not look at it as this negative thing and Mm -hmm. you know to look at it as something that I can tell people and hopefully inspire people and that's just the way I view it, I, I don't know. And people like even that Ariana Grande, the way that she's just got on with things and gone mm-hmm. on and done more world tours and things like that. That's shown me that I shouldn't be afraid and I shouldn't live in fear and I should just continue being as happy as I was before the 22nd of May. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Also from something else. How did we get here? With Claudia Winkleman and Professor Tanya Byron. In these in-depth one-on-one therapy sessions, we dig deep into personal stories with fascinating and emotional revelations. A passionate, insightful, and moving experience with clear outcomes to each episode. He is as anxious about attachment with you as you are with him. Oh, wow. That's crazy, isn't it? Oh, that's a weird feeling. Wait, so... Oh, God. Don't you just feel like, whoa, why didn't I know that all along? Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcast apps. She came back, right, Ariana, to your mm-hmm. hosp- to your bedside, is that she right? D- yeah. Um, it was I bet you didn't pretend to be asleep then, did you? Oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> that was the one time I don't like it. No, I just came around from surgery, um, I think. So I was already a bit crazy. Um, and my sister said, oh, uh, Ariana Grande is going to be here in 10 minutes. I was like, yeah. Oh, thanks um, for the notice. I know, like, thank I you. I myself up. Look, my best. Can't yeah. move. There's tubes and everything. So I was like, this is attractive. Um, but yeah, and in she walked, looking perfect. <laughs> and what did she wear? Oh, she wore, she her like signature look is over like always really oversized jumpers that she wears mm-hmm. like dresses and she wore this 
like satin green flowered dress thing and the classic like knee high boots that were like eight inches um, I love you remember the details it's funny what yeah, you remember this, isn't it yeah well that that was like probably my best memory from hospital so that's what mm. I think my brain forced me to remember. Oh, that was such a great time. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, my heart rate monitor went off, which was really embarrassing. No way. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> she so just came funny. in and was like, hi. And then as soon as she said that, I was just, I had a mental breakdown and started yeah. crying. Beep, 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 beep. Literally. And all these <laughs> nurses were like, oh, free breathes. But Ariana was a bit, a bit scared, I think. Um, but she kept telling me to breathe. She's like, it's okay. Um, and she just sat next to my bed and held my hand. And it was weird because over the past few years, I'd gotten to know her so well. You know, like all these celebrities mm. I keep on top of like every day and I know everything about them. So it was weird. Yeah. As soon as she sat next to me, it wasn't like, oh, this is a random stranger who's a celebrity. I was like, I know everything about her. <laughs> she just felt normal. Um, and she was so lovely. She... She cried a bit when I talked about Nell, uh, which mm. was ob an obvious response, but she kept staying so strong. I yeah. can't imagine what that day was like coming back to Manchester for her and seeing everyone in that state. But she was just, she was hilarious. She made jokes with me. Um, like, honestly, she is just my idol and I could not respect anyone more. Yeah. It feels like a really positive connection that, you know, mm -hmm. she came and saw you in person. And like you said, you've all got your own traumas from that day. Mm -hmm. um, and she's carrying on and you're carrying on. And that feels like quite a strong bond in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I it's cool. I thing... can connect to a celebrity. Don't be yeah. like, well, you, you are a celebrity. God, no. Um... But you're, you're, a pub, you're somebody who is someone to look up to, who is in the public eye, who has shared their story and written their book. So you are a role model. Thank you. <laughs> you're, I, you're an inspiration to me. Like this is, you know, I was so thrilled when you agreed to come to come on the podcast. Um, you know, one of the things that I really admire about you because I'm thinking about myself, and you know, I, you know, I run a burns charity, so I meet a lot of people who have burns and scars, and mm -hmm. you know, a larger percent of those people, their injuries are from accidents. Mm -hmm. So it's you know, house fires, car crashes, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. and a smaller percent is by humans, you know, an intent, an attack. Mm -hmm. And there's a different side to injuries when it's an intention. And sometimes with sustaining injuries when somebody attacks you is anger, yeah. is resent resentment, mm -hmm. rage. Did you experience any of those emotions? Definitely in my, in my darkest um, moments in hospital when I was really down, I started thinking about things. I remember I asked my dad, um, to show me a picture of the bomber and I remembered seeing him on the night um, mm -hmm. and that definitely triggered uh, a lot of anger. I was just kind of thinking how could a human being do something like that? How are there such yeah. horrible people in the world? I just couldn't believe it. Like I said, I was in my safe bubble of this little village in Cheshire and someone could actually want to take away all them people's lives. And hurt. so it was just, it was so weird for me because I just couldn't get my head around it and I had so many questions and it just mm. it made me feel more sick to think that it was aimed at such innocent young people as well but I quickly learned especially from my family and all the staff at hospital and stuff that helped care for me that 
that wasn't the right outlook to have. Because if I stayed angry and if I stayed bitter and was really, you know, just annoyed for the rest of my life, then I wouldn't, I just wouldn't be happy. And that's not what I wanted. And I always say that giving in and, you know, being, get, saying that I'm fearful and that I'm really angry is what they wanted in the first place. Mm, so I would mm. say that's not what I'm going to feel. Like, yeah, you've done this horrible thing, but I'm, you know, now I'm going to live my best life and kind of yeah, just... You yeah. took the control back. You didn't want to keep the label of victim. You gave yeah. yourself the label of survivor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's, that's quite incredible. I mean, it was the same for me after it happened. You know, I grew up in a village like you. You know, the worst thing that ever happened to me was being grounded and that was about yeah. it, you know. Yeah. And, and when it happened, I remember thinking, how can man be so evil to man? How to your own kind? Like how how can you be so cruel, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but then I think like you, this amazing medical team, you think, hold on a minute, most people aren't like this. Most mm-hmm. people are like the people that are helping me in hospital, the people that are writing to me. I saw in an article I read about you, similar to me, you had a very special nurse. You had a nurse that mm-hmm. came and spoke to you at three o'clock in the morning. Was that right? Yeah. Um, she was called Jenny. Um, I was a bit scared of her. <laughs> but, oh, uh, really? Why? Actually, well, she just, she just, she looked really cool and she was really intimidating. She had like, this nose ring and some really cool tattoos and I don't know I just <laughs> I was a bit scared of her. um but I was watching an episode Gavin and Stacey in hospital oh yeah 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 I was watching the Christmas episode where like Smithy and Gavin are like singing into their phones um band-aid and Jenny came onto the board and started singing along with it <laughs> on the thing and I kind of paused him and was like oh have you watched Camelot Station? She said, oh, I love it. I, that's my favourite episode. And I said it was mine too. And I felt straight away. I was like, okay, I'll accept She's normal. And yeah, that night was the first night that I didn't have my mum, dad or sister on shifts next to me, um, mm-hmm. next to my bed, sleeping there. And they finally all went back to Ronald McDonald House across the, across the hospital. So mm-hmm. it was my first night alone. And I just couldn't get to sleep. Um, And it was about 3am and Jenny was offering me all these different things. She was like, radio, TV, any of that. She didn't want it. I just kept shaking my head and not saying anything. And then eventually she just pulled up a chair next to me and said, are you thinking about Nell? And I told her, yeah, I was. So she just straight away from then just calmly said, okay, tell, tell me about her, which would have been, you would think, a really scary thing for a random stranger mm. to ask a 14-year-old who's just lost a friend about that because she would be scared of what my response would be. But that was the first time that I opened up about Nell and talked about everything. And right. that was to a random stranger. And she just, she was there to listen. And I think she listened for about two hours. Whilst oh in in between when she was like, okay, continue in one second whilst I just go and give this baby some medicine. Like, she was just incredible like who does that a nurse who's on a night shift takes the time to sit at 3 a.m mm-hmm. to talk to a random girl um, yeah. and yeah she'll always be a family friend just because of that night it's interesting isn't it because like you're like me amazing family who you knew you could lean on and it wasn't like you didn't have them to talk to but mm-hmm. sometimes some subjects are easier to talk to a stranger about yeah yeah, she was the best person at that time to talk to about now, which was really weird. She didn't know me, but it was perfect. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Or maybe you don't feel judged when someone doesn't know you. Mm-hmm. It takes away the embarrassment or yeah. any shame. Or Do you still talk about Nell now? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah all the time. It's it's just normal now. Um, mm. Obviously, some days it, it, it's a sad day because there's always good days and bad days. Um but my my family are amazing and my friends, you know, we we could just laugh about stuff about now, mm. which is what Jenny taught me to do from the beginning. She was laughing at memories that I told her of her, that, you know, I had the most amazing friendship with now and it feels so good to talk about her because I think mm. I'm, you know, letting her not be forgotten and I'm leaving a legacy to her, which I hope the book does too. Um, that's what just makes me happy. I just constantly tell myself to think about her and happy memories because mm. there's always everything that triggers a memory of her but they're always good ones I think that's my favorite thing about the book is that you were able to write about her and your friendship and all your mm-hmm. memories and you've kept her it's just a beautiful representation of both of you and it's there forever you know mm-hmm. it's a beautiful legacy and I think you know it's, it's an incredible book anyone who's listening to this um who hasn't hasn't read the book I really recommend that you do it's, it's called what makes us stronger um but yeah I think it's just a fantastic thing to do and it just seems you were so proactive as soon as you possibly could be um you know I, I read about you exactly the same as me you lost loads of weight, you were in a wheelchair. And when you go through this kind of thing, you wake up with total muscle wastage. You know, your legs are like Mm -hmm. sticks, you can't walk. And I don't know if you had this experience when you're young and you're a woman like we are, you think, oh my God, like you spend all this time thinking you're fat and this and that. And when you wake up like that with no muscles and you can't, and you're in a wheelchair, oh, everything changes around beauty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was so weird because I was really self-conscious before the 22nd of May. Um, and then as soon as it happened, I just was so angry at myself before Same. because I was like, you were perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was perfect. Everything about me was perfect. And I feel so angry that I kind of took that for granted and mm-hmm. didn't appreciate what I looked like and wasn't happy with my body and everything, mm-hmm. which now I've just like, I would give anything to go back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely a lot more, even more uh, self-conscious now. Um, but I'm definitely accepting what I look like more um, now, mm. which I'm I'm grateful for because it's only three years old, which seems like a long time. But for me, I just definitely felt I couldn't look at my reflection for like the first year because I hated it. Um, but quickly, I remember my love of makeup and did all my research and all full coverage things and just <laughs> got straight you're into like me with the makeup coverage. love it but it it kind of sounds when people think oh that's not healthy for me to be there like I need the most full coverage things where I can cover everything up but that's what makes me most confident and happy yeah no I don't think that's so bad I mean look whether mm-hmm. you have scars or not whether you have a disability or not if you're a woman that enjoys glamour and makeup and you want to use that as a tool as part of your confidence then that's yeah. okay you know it's, it's yeah. not it's not vain mm-hmm. or bad like that's 
I've always been that person and I love wearing makeup and six inch heels to the post yeah. office. You know? <laughs> That's me in lockdown. I'm waking up to do nothing and I'm putting on full eyelashes, everything to sit in front of the TV because it just makes me feel good. And I think I'll always like, yeah, it's empowering. Nice... <laughs> That's just, I mean, the, I'm definitely getting better. Like I, before, when we went on holiday, we went um, to America and mm. I literally went shopping for days and days before with my mum to find tops that covered to a certain part of my arm. And I had I used to, to have be like that. full length trousers. And my mum was like, it's like 40 degree heat. I was like, don't care. People look mm-hmm. at me. So, yeah, it will take time, but I just but know it's that it normal. will mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't go through something like that and just be like, hey, everyone, I'm totally accepting of a whole new body and face. Like, yeah. I did loads of weird things, right? I um, So I've got scars down my sort of neck and chest and mm-hmm. on my back and bum, as, as well as the obvious, you know, the face. Yeah. So I remember the first holiday I went on, I went all on eBay and random, like, trying to, trying to buy a wetsuit, right? I don't even do <laughs> yeah. water sports, yeah? yeah? <laughs> trying to buy this stupid wetsuit. I had to get it for somewhere like Thai one or somewhere and then I think like my family didn't want to be horrible but they probably thought people are going to stare at you more when you're sat in Lanzarote yeah Yeah. (laughs) definitely but you have to go through those stages and like I just became so conscious of this bit where my berm was on my chest. I threw out all my dresses that were like a scoop neck and I'd go to Primark and buy any dress or top that had a roll neck. And then my whole wardrobe was roll necks for the summer and scarves and floppy hats and one would look at me. And I just was like that for like a couple of years and I think Mm -hmm. I had to go through that. Mm -hmm. Whereas if now I'm like push-up bra, revealing top, go out of the makeup on if I'm in a rush, other days go out full face of makeup on and life you just do you know what you just start to accept things and things start to become your new normal yeah yeah definitely I look like my favorite things now are like the scars on my legs like I think they're really cool there's Mm. there's some that I had a piece of shrapnel that went through my leg and came out the other side so I have two like symmetrical scars um and on one side I don't even know we never actually found out what they did but there's like a big circle of where they must have right. cut out my skin, taken it out and put it back on. So there's a weird oval on my leg that I used to hate. Mm-hmm. I used to look at it and be like, there's that weird thing on my leg. Um, but now, even though it's faded lots, like I'll I'll be wearing like a short dress or stuff and literally like say to people like, hey, look, you see that circle on my leg? Let me <laughs> tell you where this is from. How cool is it? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think... I'll definitely get there um, with my face because I got there with everything else. Um, but yeah, mm. like I said, it just it just takes time. But I feel like it's so early days for you. There's so much mm. more to come and and even more happiness and even more healing. Uh, but you've done so well, you know, three years mm. on and you've written a book and you're able to come on here and, and talk to me so openly. Um you know, I was worried that I was going to cry. And I'm like, she's not going to cry. And then I'm going to cry. <laughs> well, everyone, it seems that with these um, interviews and things, people are always like, do you want a parent next to you in case mm. you cry? I'm like, life to me, I'm like, yeah, you don't know me. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> there may be, there's days, obviously, where I cry. I'm not a robot. Um, You're normal, yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely people underestimate that because I'm this victim or whatever I'm just so upset mm. all the time and I'm crying and I'm so like sensitive but that's just not me <laughs> I've grown stronger so yeah yeah who are you then what are your aspirations you know you're 17 you've got your whole life ahead of you what what would you like to do in the future um I I really want to be an actress 
uh-huh. which was kind of my dream before the 22nd of May because I I always loved being in school plays and things like that. Um, and I realised you could do that as a full-time job. Um, yeah. But I was definitely so sure that I could not pursue that as my main career before the 22nd mm. of May. So I was like, I'll be homeless. I won't get any gigs, all this. Um, and like my parents, were, they weren't, they didn't, you know, not encourage me, but they were always kind of like, you might need a plan B because mm-hmm. that might not work out. But then as soon as the 22nd of May happened, we were all kind of like, why shouldn't I go for it? Because yeah. like, yeah, at the end of the day, I just, my goal is to just be happy and to just be living mm-hmm. my best life. And I know mm-hmm. that acting is the thing that makes me the happiest. Mm-hmm. So why not do it? Even if it doesn't work out, like, so what at least I went for it so yeah yeah and you've got this amazing life experience now this amazing emotional maturity um that mm-hmm. actually would really add to the skill of being an actress um yeah you know. I said to my 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 first visitors in hospital my acting teachers um and I remember saying to them they were like oh okay I was excited because I think I said to them oh if I ever have to do a really traumatic scene I can relate to that and I can be a better actress (laughs) exactly so I was like before when we used to do scenes and they were like think about something sad I was like nothing sad's ever happened now I'm like yes I've got this thing that I can stop crying in the bag and auditions they're always like tell us about you and before mm. it had been like, I'm Freya, I'm 17. But now I'm like, let me whip out my book. So it's exciting yeah. that I now have It's this. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so are you following those dreams now? Are you going to stage school? Are you going to auditions and stuff? Yeah. Um, I'm looking at drama schools and things now for after A-levels. Drama schools all over the place. So that's really exciting that's because exciting. before I would have definitely just ended up going to uni for some boring like English course mm. or something now I'm like I can follow my dreams and go to drama school so it's exciting thinking about the future but yeah it, and in such a weird way I'm excited to tell people about my story in auditions because I just yeah, feel like that'll stand out you. from the rest so Okay, yeah, positive. and it's mm-hmm. important because I think it shows the roles that you could play. It shows the resilience mm-hmm. you possess, the storytelling skill. I mean, you talk about the book and you said about ha- having a ghostwriter, but you still wrote that book. You still have, mm-hmm. you can still articulate yourself really well. You still have that. That no one can take that away from you. Yeah, um, and I think that's a great skill for your profession. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think you've got such a strong, bright future, and you know you're years ahead. Of other people your age you've got that advantage you've got that life experience and you know you there's that it's a cliche saying but it really represents you of you know life isn't what happens to you it's what you choose to do of it afterwards and that mm-hmm. that is what you really represent for me um so anyone listening if they want to know more about freya follow her on instagram but please buy her book what makes us stronger i feel stronger after talking to you uh today thank you so much uh for being so open and so honest um you really are extraordinary thank you so much for having me it's honestly it's been a privilege thanks for listening to casey piper's extraordinary people if you haven't already please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts if you enjoyed this please help us spread the word Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.